everybody and welcome to Headlights, the Daimler podcast that's all about who we are and what we do at Daimler, the cool jobs we have, but especially the interesting people who work here. I'm trying to set up the best boundary conditions for 300,000 people of Daimler to exceed the expectations of our customers every day. And I'm pretty sure that almost everybody will agree that the man I was talking to in that episode sums up both the CEO of Daimler, Dieter Zetsche. We will learn how he handles challenges in hard times, what he learned about mindset in the Silicon Valley and, of course, what he did with all his old ties. The interview will start with 3 times 30 a little game we play with all of our interview partners. I ask Dieter three questions and he has the maximum time of 30 seconds to answer them. First of all, what's so special about your job? What drives you? Well, I like to move things in both senses and um, therefore uh, in this job I have the chance to really uh, create new things for the future, of course, together with all the colleagues and we have a perfect team and that's another specialty of this job, uh, to be surrounded by very competent and great people. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you desire? What's your biggest wish? Well, certainly uh, mobility, individual mobility on the long run um, with less and less downsides. So um, perfect safety, no accidents, no emissions and still lots of fun. <laughs> okay, and last question. Can you still remember what you wanted to be when you were six years old? Eight years, because I always, okay as well. for the beginning I was too young and I wanted to be able to do already more. <laughs> <laughs> That was a good teaser. Now let's jump in in our conversation. So let's start talking about your job and Daimler. You started at Daimler back at 1976. Why did you decide for this company and what would the arguments be today? Well, I uh, was becoming an uh, engineer for uh, electrotechnic and my thesis I had the chance to write here in the research department of Daimler. Uh, that was my first contact and there obviously I started to get some idea of this uh, huge world uh, which this company represents and so I got excited. Uh, obviously cars is something you you get easily excited uh, anyway uh, and this now in combination with uh, scientific work um, with the dream of an engineer to uh, build things, uh, real things, uh, where the motivations altogether, which um, made me accept the job offer I got. Mm -hmm. So you made a long way, you are the CEO right now. What's the coolest part of being a CEO or maybe what's the worst? Well, um, one uh, aspect I like a lot is to um, get known to many people around the globe. It's a very international job um, and uh, you have better ideas about different cultures, about different perspectives. Uh, on the other hand, of course, uh, going on a two-day um, test drive and checking out uh, all the babies which are in development in your company is certainly another highlight, that's for sure. Um, on the downside, probably the publicity you're getting and the difficulty to uh, live a private life. Private life, yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. And no other... Uh, Worst parts? <laughs> um, well, of course, uh, the, the job comes with a responsibility, mm -hmm. which, first of all, is a good thing. 
Um, of course, you're aware of 300,000 people with their families uh, living in and from that company. You're aware of the two guys, uh, Karl Benz and Gottlieb Daimler, who changed the world which an, with an unbelievable new idea. Um, and my feeling is they're looking down from up there and seeing whether we are doing a good job and taking the idea to the next level. Uh, so these are the, the positive uh, motivations. At the same time, of course, these are the art sticks you are measuring yourself mm -hmm. and your team against. Kind of pressure. And not at all times uh, you're, you're, you're satisfied with the results. And that, of course, is the downside then. <laughs> okay, so um, what was your toughest time in the job? Can you remember that? Um, certainly there were phases of challenges, which typically were the phases where you grew. Mm -hmm. where you, in hindsight, benefited from. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when I would have to single out one, one time, I, I'm thinking about a specific situation. After having worked as the CEO of Chrysler for five years, I became CEO of Daimler Chrysler at that time. And after some period of time, I came to the conclusion that it would be almost inevitable for the future of Daimler Chrysler to separate from Chrysler. Mm -hmm. And entering the plane to fly to Detroit uh, for a town hall to inform my colleagues and good friends that I decided um, that the two companies should be split, that basic Chrysler should be sold, I almost felt like a traitor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, so this was, I think, their, uh, their hardest meeting I was preparing myself for. And at the same time, their, the most positive experience when all of these great good guys um, reacted in a very constructive manner, kind of well, in your position, probably would have come to the same conclusion. So that was more than fair um, and uh, helped me a lot in this situation. Uh, but still, it was a tough one. Mm -hmm. How do you handle tough times like that? Well, um, I try to face them and I try to go for it. It doesn't make sense to postpone uh, difficult situations, uh, it's like with a dentist. Yeah, true, but we all <laughs> you, like to do that. <laughs> you better get a date soon and get it uh, behind you. Mm -hmm. And actually, when, when you have a big challenge or, or threat for, for your company, um, when it rises, when it pops up, it might be scary. The moment you start to act on it, the moment you start to build a plan how to deal with it, it's already better to deal with and it's already um, something you, you start to, to handle and mm -hmm. to uh, get control again. Mm -hmm. exactly. And that's when you get positive feelings and you have a task and you know what you want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And uh, then half of a difficult situation is already uh, been dealt with. Mm -hmm. Very true, yeah. And you start to grow, yeah. just like you said. Um, if you look back to your beginnings at Daimler, to what extent has the company changed aside from not wearing ties anymore? Well, certainly uh, every CEO at any time has the feeling that the current time is the most challenging, the most promising, yeah. the most important, whatever. Um, still, within these 
43 years since I started at Daimler. The company has become much more complex. The scope has become much wider. The world itself, I guess, has become uh, more complex. Um, And at the same time, more connected. And therefore, everything everything which happens in the world has an impact on what you're doing, what your company is doing. Mm -hmm. And in this regard, um, vis-a-vis the current um, state where not only geopolitical many things are changing, um, but technologically, uh, because of the digital revolution, if you want, uh, we have so many disruptive developments. Um, we put them together under one acronym, uh, where the connectivity, the car becoming um, part of the Internet of Things, probably the most complex uh, thing in the Internet <laughs> of Things, um, where autonomous cars only a few years ago, still science fiction, now becoming a reality. Uh, we're sharing in all parts of life, including mobility, uh, is a development which certainly will occur. And last but not least, the change from um, CO2 producing um, drivetrains to emission-free drivetrains, namely and mostly uh, battery electric drivetrains. All of these changes are happening parallel all of them being tremendous opportunities where you can offer your customers tomorrow things which you didn't even dream of a few years ago. But at the same time, if you don't do so, others will and you'll have a problem. (laughs) So um, this is a pretty complex, very exciting situation, uh, but which uh, asks for a lot of strategic work, a lot of focus, and at the same time, Uh, parallel activities in many fields. Mm -hmm. So one of the most visible changes at Daimler is that we don't wear ties anymore. So you started with that, but what did you do with all your old ties? Where are they? Well, I think they are living a pretty lonely life (laughs) in a remote closet. (laughs) (laughs) But you had that? Waiting for for, uh, the next change of fashion, perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe for a wedding. Okay. Mm, For carnival, where they typically are cut off. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Do you celebrate carnival? Uh, I have to admit, other than my time in Brazil, carnival never was on top of my agenda. No, okay, I see. (laughs) Um, You're leaving Daimler in May 2019 in a very exciting and moving time for the whole automotive industry. Is it even harder for you to let go now? No, absolutely not. We went through several phases uh, with the management team I was um, heading since um, 2005. Uh, The first phase was kind of restructuring. We had quite a number of challenges. I mentioned uh, the Daimler Chrysler Mm -hmm. combination as one, uh, and we were facing them and trying to uh, set the groundwork for the next phase. Uh, the next phase then was attack. Uh, we set out uh, the objective to become again the number one premium um, car builder. Of course, cars is only one facet mm, of yes. Daimler altogether, but uh, an important one um, for 2020. And we fortunately uh, reached that goal even before the time we have set ourselves. Um, and the third phase is now the transformation. Mm -hmm. The transformation of 
this company for this future I was just talking about. And this, of course, on the one hand, um, requires technological um, competences and good people in this regard. Um, but secondly, at least as much so, it requires a different culture, a more daring culture, even more uh, pioneering spirit. Um, and last but not least, of course, it requires people and leadership. And um, as I think we have um, successfully started into this phase, and most importantly, uh, I'm convinced that that's, of course, always the task in the latter part of a career to look for a good transition for good successors. And I'm very much convinced that we did a very good job in this regard. And for these various reasons I was just mentioning, I'm feeling great. I think the right people are in place, the best people possible, we have the right strategies, and now I'm looking forward to watch what will be going on. Yeah, you will have time for that. <laughs> and I think time is something you haven't had for a lot of years. So how will you spend the time in your cool-down phase um, after leaving Daimler's Board of Management? Do you have plans? Well, first of all, my plan is to make sure that some time will be left because you already get lots of requests if you couldn't do this and that and sure. so on. And certainly I will not stop entirely and there are some uh, business commitments I already have agreed uh, to. Um, but definitely I want to maintain more private time. That's first and foremost uh, for my family. I love my family, I love to be with my family and even though my kids are grown up, um, or our kids, Uh, we um, still spend time together and I very much enjoy that. All together, being together with people, with friends, um, I, I'm very much looking forward to have more time to do that. Mm -hmm. um, traveling, I love walking the forest. Yesterday we did 22 kilometers walking through the forest. Oh, wow, okay. And that's great. And being able to do that more often is another very positive perspective. Mm -hmm. Is that traveling? Is there a special country you like to visit? Well, I have visited almost all countries yeah, in most so. cases uh, without seeing much. True that. <laughs> and that's the part I would like to change. <laughs> yeah. And not necessarily with a specific preference, uh, but uh, there are so many beautiful places in this world and I like to see more. <laughs> What is the best advice you ever got yourself? That's a difficult one just uh, <laughs> out of my mind. Um, I think um, to keep your independence. Of course, when you're, uh, when you're engaged in your job, in your company, you're dedicated, you're committed, uh, you spend a lot of time there, and uh, you have a lot of emotion around that. But I think to be really able to do a good job, you have to keep your independence. You have to uh, be able to imagine that you could live without that as well. Mm -hmm. Only then you're able to make decisions which yeah. might not always be popular, uh, which might involve risks, or certainly will. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, if you always have that feeling there's another world, another life beyond what you're doing right now. You can do a better job in what you're doing right now. That's my conviction. That's something I got advice for.
Mm -hmm. Okay, very good point. Um, you've recently made a statement in which you condemned racism and discrimination. How do you think should people in prominent business roads behave when it comes to hardly debated social and political issues? I mean, on the one hand, I think we should understand that we are businessmen and that being a politician is a different task with many, many challenges in itself, which to some extent are different than your challenges. And you should not believe, of course, I would do that much better. Uh, <laughs> that is in both directions, yes. not a good uh, starting point. Um, at the same time, of course, a company like Daimler, uh, which is active around the globe with many people, of course, is part of a society and therefore part of politics. And in this regard, of course, you can't just stand on the sideline. Mm. Uh, you should do that every day, but in some very important topics which are dear to your heart and where you are convinced uh, about your position, you should take this position as well. Mm -hmm. Again, this should be on an exceptional basis, but a question like the one you were raising, uh, I mean, it's so evident that the only uh, chance for a successful future this little blue planet has is by um, living tolerance, by not only accepting but enjoying the diversity uh, of, the, of mankind and um, helping to overcome um, separations and not to build uh, walls. And uh, that's such a basic uh, conviction which I get confirmation every day when I'm around, uh, traveling around. Uh, that I think you have to speak up when you see some tendencies which might go into a different direction. Mm -hmm. So you felt like you had to say something to that uh, point? Absolutely, yes. And I think, again, on an exceptional basis, it's your right and perhaps even your duty as well in a role like mine. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, as we talked recently to Jürgen Müller, he's our chief economist, you of course know him, <laughs> um, and he told us about his very first years in our company. And in these times they wrote their briefings um, by hand for the board of management, for example. Incredible for us nowadays. Uh, you started back in 1976 at our research and um, development department. Please tell us how did people work in those days? Well, when I look at my handwriting, this would not be a good situation. <laughs> But anyway, um, as I mentioned before, I started in the research department. Uh -huh. And especially when it comes to IT, it's hard to imagine today what kind of a world that was. Mm -hmm. So for my thesis, uh, I used, I don't even know, punch tapes or something like that. These were endless yellow tapes, uh, which had holes, which contained their data information of the measurements we, we made and so on. And then you have to had to read them through a um, tape reader and then you had a huge ball of, of paper lying on the, uh, on the floor and try to, uh, it, it was <laughs> unbelievable. Or, or for instance, we, uh, I saw the first screens being connected to the mainframe and we were thrilled that now we could communicate with a computer via a screen and a, um, and, and writing there, um, but then when we had 30 screens connected to this mainframe, 
um, the whole CPU which was available was used to organize the screens and you couldn't work on the screen anymore. <laughs> okay. So um, these, they had a, a memory like uh, whatever, no, it doesn't exist today anymore, several megabyte or something, okay. the mainframe. So um, it was a very different world for sure. Um, on the other hand, um, there were people and there many things were similar mm -hmm. uh, with the strengths and the weaknesses of people and how they interact and who has social skills, who doesn't. Uh, so um, people didn't change that much, but technology changed a lot. Mm -hmm. And I guess uh, what also changed is leadership. Mm, what was a good leader in the 70s and how would you define it today? I mean, that time, uh, for instance, Nobel Prize winners typically were single people. Today, especially on the scientific side, mostly these are teams. Mm -hmm. So um, research science development today happens on the borderlines or the connecting points between different areas. Um, and that's why teamwork is so extremely important. So networking, um, taking down the relevance of hierarchies. You still, we are not in anarchy, still you need mm -hmm. uh, some uh, control, but in the mo first place you need a lot of freedom, a lot of open space for people to develop and to develop their ideas and to develop products directly vis-a-vis -vis to the customer. And that has changed this uh, part. So some discipline is still important and when you want to build the, the best car in the world, you need to have many people being Uh, organized in a very uh, precise manner, uh, but at the same time for all these new ideas you need, again, this spirit of, of uh, going for the unknown, going a big step, and uh, that's where you need different leadership, empowerment and white space. Okay, so now I'm very excited. Imagine I would ask the members of your team what kind of leader you are. What would they say? <laughs> Well, uh, it would be better to ask them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I will. <laughs> well, um, I think, if, I know that I like uh, to work with other people, to be with other people, and I hope that's transparent, and I think, and I hope that other people feel that. And um, I have a lot of respect for, for many other people. Um, so I know I have a great team. I enjoy working with them. Um, If you want on the downside, typically when there pops up a new situation, you question mostly in the same moment, I have an idea how I would react to that. <laughs> And to hold that back is sometimes tough for me. Yeah. <laughs> so um, perhaps they might feel that I'm jumping in too fast and too often. <laughs> um, overall, I think we have a very good culture together, which of course depends on all uh, participants and, and members and colleagues, but I hope I had some positive impact on that development. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm sure. Um, many established companies are trying to build more of a Silicon Valley mindset. You've been there quite often. What did you learn there and what can they learn from a company like Daimler? I mean, of course you have uh, these um, classic uh, aspects uh, like agile working um, structures and practices and so on. And, um, I think in the very first place, it's mindset. Um, when, when you meet startup people or established companies, leadership of established companies in the Silicon Valley, 
most of them want to change the world <laughs> and are okay. convinced that they can and they will. And some of that might be uh, a little uh, going too far or not being totally realistic, but it creates a lot of energy and um, really huge ambition, which helps you to go big steps. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes uh, early stages, we are worrying too much about all the potential downsides of any development and about potential risks in five and 10 and 20 years. And of course, it's necessary uh, to be aware of all aspects of developments. But if in the first place you are driven by optimism, by positive thinking, you just can accomplish more. And so like in, in most cases, um, combining these perspectives, you probably get to the best world. And that's what we try to accomplish. Perhaps the, the best way to exemplify uh, this thought, which I was just making, was uh, when we were once in Silicon Valley and we visited a number of startups. Uh, one of them, after interesting session, we left. And I said to the CEO, good luck to you. I said, well, I don't think that's necessary. Good luck to you. <laughs> so, <laughs> that clearly uh, showed their mindset. Mm -hmm. And there were five people and a huge task ahead of them, but they were totally convinced this will work. We have to worry about our company. <laughs> okay, okay, I see. Very interesting people over there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, um, let's talk a little bit more about your personal stuff. Um, not many people know that you were born in Istanbul, in Turkey, and you've lived in many different countries so far. Do you have any childhood memories of Istanbul? Well, um, actually, I was born there, stayed there for uh, one week. Oh, and okay. then we lived one and a half years in Anatoly mm -hmm. um, in the southeast. Um, and again, I uh, have some slides of that time. Uh, but uh, to claim that I would uh, remember what was happening in my first uh, 18 months probably would be a little bit exaggerated. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I have the memory that uh, I always felt somewhat special when there were occasions where we had to show our ID or our passport and it said Istanbul and the other guys were in the next village. I thought, oh, that's something special. I like it. <laughs> okay, still a, a guy from the main town. <laughs> mm, and how did it affect your career that you lived in different countries? I think you're uh, growing twice as fast when, uh, when you have the chance to pass some years of your career abroad. First, at the same level, you typically have a much bigger span of responsibility just because the units are smaller and not that much split into many tasks. Um, at the same time, you're confronted with different cultures. You learn about the um, positive aspects of different perspectives. And not all of them might be positive, but uh, there are quite a number. Um, and uh, all of these experiences just make you learn faster, make you learn more. And on your private side, of course, it's a fantastic experience when you have the chance to learn more languages, to meet more people. So uh, it's just a fantastic opportunity and I only can uh, tell everybody if he has or she has ever the chance to go for it, do it. Do you have um, a special place, a country you like even more than other countries? Well, um, my point of view is to enjoy what's good and to just accept, not think about much things which are a little bit more difficult. In this sense, I 
very much enjoyed our time in Sao Paulo, in Buenos Aires, in, in Oregon, Portland, Oregon, or in Detroit, um, everywhere. There are so many exciting new things, great people, uh, great places to, to visit. Um, and therefore, I like to go back to all of these places and to new ones in the future as well. Okay. <laughs> What career advice or general advice would you give your younger 18-year-old safe? Would you still head for the auto industry or would a young Dieter Zetsche nowadays rather be a startup entrepreneur or an IT geek? First of all, probably I would say don't listen too much to advice, but uh, make your own experience. And that's what, what I did. Um, I mean, it's interesting that um, there are big tech giants today um, spend quite some time dealing with the auto industry. Some years ago, people said, well, young kids are only interested in smartphones anymore, not in cars anymore. And their biggest smartphone manufacturer is considering to engage itself, to some extent already does, uh, in mobility. Um, so this continues to be a very, very exciting um, area, of course, with different developments today. So I think it's still a very good decision to go for the automotive world. And you can go at the same time to the tech world because there are very few more complex IT systems than a car. Um, but of course, there are the careers outside of our industry as well. Um, many opportunities for kids today. I think I would do the same again when I would be 18 again. Okay. Uh, you just said uh, don't listen too much to advices. You have three adult kids. Um, do they still learn from you or do you learn from them? Well, I certainly learn more from them. Yeah. These days, what? Um, well, uh, my my daughter runs a startup um, and uh, lives in the S and goes around and many things of her personal experiences um, are a learning field for me. Uh, my other son is very much in IT and uh, the third one in healthcare. So all of these are very exciting areas. Uh, but of course, not just about uh, the job and uh, with my kids, I primarily don't talk about the job, but about their other, uh, the rest of their life, their families and so on. And in all of these fields, they represent the future, of course, and therefore it's more exciting for me uh, to learn from them. <laughs> um, if you have a day completely off without any work to do, uh, without anybody to meet, how do you spend it? What's your favorite occupation beyond Daimler? besides walking in forests? <laughs> well, that's an important part, not that I run through the forest all the time, but uh, to, to move, uh, be on a sailing boat, swimming, whatever. Um, the, the physical part is which um, I'm lacking time. Perhaps it's just a good excuse for being lazy, I don't know. But in any case, um, I, I like to spend more time with some physical challenges. As I said before, um, I, I love countries First of all, I love nature, and it's amazing. Uh, back in 2013, you betted if Daimler won't be able to sell more cars than Audi and BMW, you'll shave off your beard. Uh, and we did it. Now, cross your heart, would you have done it? Well, of course, it was a daring bet, as I'm living with that one now, I think about 50 years. Um, but I was convinced that I wouldn't have to do it. <laughs> but of course, uh, bets are a matter of honor. 
So uh, if not, I had no choice but doing it. Uh, glad we made it. <laughs> uh, who has ever seen you without your beard? Well, again, that's my, my mother at my birth, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. And then the next 18 years or 16 years, everybody, since then, nobody. Okay, really. Mm, since I work for Daimler, a lot of friends ask me if I can organize them a cool car. And I think if you are a CEO, the inquiries must be even more funny. Uh, what do people tend to ask you? Of course, they're getting uh, tons of emails every day. Yeah. Uh, with all kinds of ideas or requests and and. Um, yes, people come up with the weirdest ideas why it would be a good idea for us or for me to uh, give them a car for free. <laughs> <laughs> But I have to admit, um, when I was young and uh, I uh, was, was dreaming of driving a specific car, which I have to admit at that time was not a Mercedes, um, I sent a letter to the company, I would do a great trip and show the car, okay, they got the same answer, I got the same answer as people getting sending these letters to me today. Now you have to tell us which car. Well, I have no choice now. Well, it was the Alpha suit at that time. So um, Alpha was a very emotional brand and uh, so with 18 I, I wanted to drive such a car. And have you ever drive one? Uh, of course, I have driven many, but I never owned one. Okay, well, maybe something uh, for your time off right now. Well, today uh, we have all the cars uh, I love within our brand, so there's no need even for very emotional cars to go to the other brands anymore. True that. <laughs> Perfect answer to finish our interview right here. Thank you very much for your time and for sharing your thoughts with us. It was a great pleasure talking with you, and I hope you guys enjoyed our interview as well. So this was Headlights, our Daimler podcast. And if you like what you heard, subscribe and leave us a like or a comment. And of course, we hope you guys join us in our next chat as well, when we talk with David Haley, our head of personal strategy at Lab 1886. And if you want to get to know more about the interesting jobs we offer at Daimler, please go to daimler.com slash career.